And Jesse's getting ready to get off the phone. He goes, oh, wait, by the way, I got to I almost forgot to tell you the most important part. We're going to be doing a fire walk. <laughs> and I'm like, Come again? my brain went, what? no. A what? And now. <laughs> I'm the captain now. <laughs> Coming to you from the K2 studios in San Diego, California. This sounds great. You sound amazing. I always sound amazing. It's the world famous. Everybody's hitting off like BFS. Chris and Christine Show. Hey, what's happening? How are you doing today? Thank you so much for being here. And I am Chris. And I'm Christine. And welcome to episode 183 of the Chris and Christine Show. Yes, it is a Super Bowl Sunday. Did you know who actually won the game? Um, Taylor Swift. Uh, wait, is she there? <laughs> she came in flying from Tokyo. She was there. Taylor Swift won her first Super Bowl. Yeah, that's what they're saying. Yeah, you know, I actually saw a cover of her on the new Madden game coming out next year. <laughs> oh my gosh. What number is she wearing? 13? Of course. Why not? It makes sense, right? Or 89, I don't know. 89. Oh yeah. I was going to say 87 is Kelsey's jersey. She could be 13 and together they're 100. What, what, what? 87 and 13. 13's her fa- her lucky number, and he's 87. And together, they make the perfect 100. And today, tonight, they both won the 58th Eighth. Super Bowl. Yes. I do actually know which number it was. Okay, now I have a question for you because I know it's been all over the internet. And now people are starting to talk about Kelsey's temper, temper tantrum. Tell me what happened because I dozed off during that section. Okay. So there was a part of the game where he got pulled from the game from like one down. There was a down. I figured what happened, but I do know that whoever got replaced, replaced him in the, in that down. Didn't do good. Didn't do good at all. No. And then Kelsey runs back over there and says something like, "Put keep me in the game. That's what everyone's saying. He was saying to the coach was keep me in the game. But didn't he like Don't body slam me. him? Like he, he went up to him like all upset and he like bumped him and he like bumped the head coach. Coach was like, what? What are you bumping me for? And then he's like screaming in his face and that epic picture shot is going viral on the internet as we speak right now of Kelsey like screaming in the ear of the coach Andy Reid. I know. I So I was reading and I watched some of the replays and he like body checked it, body checked him. Yeah. So, um, and like Andy Reid like stumbled back, took a step back. Like luckily he didn't fall, but what? I mean, I know guys get heated like in the middle of the game. But you don't yell at your coach like that. You, you don't know? yell at your coach and you like, who do you think you are, dude? You got benched. Like, okay, now I know like everybody's like obsessed with what do we call him? Is it Tavis or is it Trailer? What is their combination? Their, I don't their know couple Trailer would be a good name for him, though. But uh, <laughs> Traveler? No, I, you know, I don't like using nicknames like that. You With know, Brangelina. And- no, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Be- and I don't okay, know. well, they're saying Tay and Trav. But anyways, there's this like people are starting to talk like, uh, are we just going to completely ignore the aggression that we just saw? And I don't know, like you're in the heat of the game. You just got pulled out. And then your guy like that got in there to replace you does like horrible. I mean, I could see getting emotional. And they were not doing very well either. If you remember 
Well, yeah, you, it was you, first half. Yeah, yeah, they were. The game was a, basically a big snooze fest during the first half. Totally, first three quarters of the game. Like, I mean, I think everybody was waiting for Usher to like give them an injection of like energy because it was like after. He performed that the Chiefs actually showed up. Did you actually see Alicia Keys I did. I saw everything. Oh, you did? I was awake the whole time. Did you check out that piano she was playing? That was so cool. Yeah, I was like, that's got to be a fake prop. I'm thinking like, there's no way. I'm looking at the thing. Maybe it's like a weird keyboard attached to like a fake like bass that's painted red. That's kind of like flows over. Like it could be the shape of a piano, but not really. Like I'm thinking, you know. No, I think it was like just a really cool red piano. It was super artistic looking. The whole stage. Well, at first I wasn't impressed. And, I mean, oh, yeah, me too. I was like, what is going on? With when this he was just on the field. Right. I'm like, this is the most boring, like letdown of a Super, super Bowl halftime show that I've ever seen. And then they get on the stage and the coolest part of the stage was and actually had these like, like he's walking on these TV set screen or something. You know, That's like, whole- ta- that's like uh, Taylor's concerts uh set up for her tour oh they do that too the whole thing yeah it's like where she'll like step down on a spot and it'll like be like cracked glass going across the whole floor wow it's really cool but yeah i saw usher doing that but then what did you think about him coming out on roller skates i saw him do the roller skate thing and that's another meme that's going around tonight too i saw these (laughs) memes of people crashing on roller skates and saying this is the backup crew for usher's dance squad tonight (laughs) Well, they were like on roller skates and doing the splits. And I was like, this is. Well, they could have fall off the stage. It's like right there. I don't see railing or like that. And, but, and, you know. but he did so good. I really did love the music. Ludacris was out there tonight too. I know. He was doing his thing. And who was the girl with the guitar? Was that her? Her. Okay. It looked like, I wasn't sure. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was her. He brought the whole crew out tonight. It was like, I loved it. Black excellence. It like really putting on fight the show and bring in some great music. And it was fantastic. Well, how about Las Vegas as being its first debut Super Bowl destination? First time having it in Las Vegas. I think the town did an amazing job. I think so too. Shout out to Las Vegas. I think that they, you know, really showed us how a classy Super Bowl can be done. And I think the fact that they have so many entertainment options and things like that, um, it, yeah, it's definitely. It was pretty much already built from, from the ground up. I was telling Jacob today, I said, Las Vegas, the, the whole town, the city, the strip, the, all the sets and the crew and all the stage stuff, like they can put a stage together in minutes and have it like, oh, you want a stage done by one o'clock? We'll be there you know, right now. Boom, right. Here, here it is. And to imagine like if you were to do a Super Bowl in a town like say Kansas City, yeah, or I don't know where their stadium is. I have no idea what's next to their stadium. I It could be the boondocks for all I know. Yeah. So can you imagine like this and the fact that this, the actual stadium in Las Vegas is like literally right across the street from Mandalay Bay. Yeah. It's like right there. And I was watching it on TV today. I was like, oh, we stayed right there in that building. We were right there. We saw it being built when we were in Vegas last time we were there. Yeah. It's definitely um, in a good location where people can, you know, get to it in a reasonably quick manner, but also um, get good accommodations. And it's so funny because- Somebody was posting, I forget who it was. It was like a friend of mine was looking, thinking about going to Vegas this weekend. And they were like, uh, you can tell that I'm not a football fan when I totally didn't realize why hotel rooms were like a thousand dollars a night. Well, so just randomly, they decided to pick this, <laughs> yeah, they this were like, weekend of all weekends. They were thinking they didn't end up going, of course, but it was just like one of those things where they were like, um, 
I totally didn't even think about the fact that there's a Super Bowl happening there. You know, Jacob was looking up tickets to see what the cheapest tickets were for the Super Bowl today. And I think he's found them as low as, I think he said as low as $5,000 or $7,000 on the low end. And I said, Jacob, that's probably like a nosebleed seat. You're like behind the pillar. You got to like look around. Partial view. <laughs> it's a partial view Sitting seat. Sitting on somebody's head. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much all the lights. You got to work. Here's your ticket. It's $5,000. And then you got to work like the lights too at the same time as you love them. That's funny. Okay. So I have a real, like a very genuine question. And let me give backstory first. So I have heard for years that there around the Super Bowl, there's always an increase in sex trafficking in cities that host the Super Bowl because of the people that come in. Do you think that would still be true in a state like Nevada where prostitution is actually legal? Well, it's only legal in the state in certain areas and counties. It's not legal in uh, Clark County, which is where Vegas sits. What? I thought it was. No, it's it's not. It's a big, oh. It's a big deal. That's why the, the quote unquote bunny ranch or whatever those, those, those uh, brothel places are so far away from the strip. Oh. I'm sure they got tour buses to take them there or whatever they're at. So they're not actually in Vegas. That's why if you ever watch the show Cops back in the day, they'd have like, they'd be busting the chicks in the street and stuff like that. They were talking about, that's how I know those kind of things, is that. It's not legal, but there's a lot of prostitution that happens behind oh, okay. on, on the street. So it's not like a legal thing, but maybe in the state it is, but only in certain areas. And oh, well, then that takes away my whole idea. I mean, not like not like I had an idea of like prostitution, but I was thinking about that. Like maybe they could do a study to see if it actually would decrease the amount of sex trafficking surrounding the Super Bowl because. You know, that's a, the really shady, seedy underbelly of the Super Bowl and the Olympics is that when there's so many people that are brought in for a sporting event, especially in a male-dominated type of industry like the football industry is, that there is a significant increase in human trafficking around the Super Bowl. And it's definitely something that I don't think gets talked about enough. But I know that there's a lot of nonprofits that come into Super Bowl cities to try and bring awareness and try to like bust up those rings. And so, you know, that's one thing that we really hope that Las Vegas has been attentive to is really addressing and um, interrupting any human trafficking that they might see happening. Yeah, you know, that I heard that this weekend that security was super tight. Like the the police department was blocking every major hotel, every major sporting complex, every major training facility that players were at, like to get even close to where they were staying at. And also too, both teams did not stay in the strip hotels. Really? Where'd they stay? They actually stayed. I think they both of them stayed off strip in like these mega resort looking places. They were, they were like, yeah, but they were so off strip. They were like, so in the, in the back hills, away from the partying, away from the the craziness. I'm sure tonight, I'm sure the Kansas City Chiefs are probably going to be in the strip at some club, just going nuts with Taylor Swift there and just being crazy. Or some huge after party something. Or it could be at the mansion that they're staying in. It's like some big resort they're staying at. I saw pictures of it. But it does make sense because they don't want them getting clogged up in the riffraff. They don't want, you know, somebody getting dosed accidentally or, you know, having 
too much access to alcohol and things like or that. Or gambling too. You can right. All night gambling. I mean, some of these players, if you think about it, they make a lot of money and some of them have big gambling problems. So I was, I was the thing that always kind of worried me about having a team or having a Super Bowl in Las Vegas, a big place like that. Speaking of gambling. Right. Guess who made a bet on the Chiefs to win? Who? Drake just made a bet of $1.15 million tonight. Okay. On the on, but the, they were favored to win. Yes, I think he won. Like he basically doubled his money or whatever it was. It wasn't like a big like turnaround, but still, it's a lot of money, you know. Yeah, but imagine if he would have lost. Yeah, but you know, if you got well, hey, come, gambling one on one, play with whatever you have. You're okay with losing. All right, I'll put a buck in. See, there you go. <laughs> there you go. You know, in fact, um, you know, I thought about you know placing some bets, but. Uh, but no, you know, I didn't Thank place, you for not. I didn't place any any bets on on the game or like that. I, you know, I kind of I kind of stopped playing. I kind of stopped gambling much. I don't gamble as much as I used to. You know, I just kind of like you know, I'm just getting too old for that kind of stuff. And and also, I feel like sometimes I feel like the risk isn't worth the re, worth the reward because even with like, I know I I'll, I'll maybe I'll throw in a few bucks to play the the powered ball or whatever once in a while, only when it's like a massive number. But even then, it's like I don't expect to win anything, right? Well, it was an, a very invigorating game and the kids were going crazy, like literally going crazy here in the house. And Jacob, our middle son, is just over the moon. He is a huge Kansas City Chiefs fan. He has been, not just this year. I mean, it's something that's been a couple of years now. and Maybe like five years. Yeah, and he this morning got to go to his first official high school football training practice at the high school football field. So I feel like it was a really cool day. Like he woke up early, he went out, he trained, he met the coaches, he got to go to the weight room and then he came home, got showered and everything. And then he got to watch his team win. And I just love when our kids get to see their team succeed and get to think about, you know, what they could play in the future. Oh, right. Right. You know, there was a point in the game where it could possibly have swing uh, either way there. It, it was a very tight game. It went into overtime. It was tied up. And Jacob was almost in tears when he thought there was a possibility that his team could actually lose the game. He wasn't just in tears. He was going ballistic. I mean, I heard him from upstairs. I was resting because I did. I finally left the downstairs because they were so crazy. And I was like, I just need a little bit of peace and quiet. And I could hear him screaming at Mason and Mason, you know, is a Raiders fan. And he was just, and it was at his stadium. But, oh, his, his house. <laughs> yeah. But he was just poking the bear today. He, anytime he could just trash talk his brother. I don't know what it is about brothers. They could just get under each other's skin. You know, I wonder if sisters do that too. Did you ever do that growing up with your sisters? Like they did it to me. Oh, you know, they did it to you. Like if there was a favorite thing or something that you were, like a team or anything like that, that you were like a part of one side and they were part of another side or they're just like, just happy to see you lose. My sisters would just torment me about like things that I loved, like take my stuffed animals and tie them to the fan and turn the fan on, to like rip the ears off of my bunnies. And as you do when or, you're 10. <laughs> right. Or, you know, hide and jump out at me in the dark. I did not intentionally try to irritate my sisters, but by being the little sister, it just naturally happened. Oh, well. Which is, I mean, Mason intentionally does it. He'll like, I don't know, he has this little streak. It's just this little naughty streak 
where he'll look at his brother or he'll look at us. Like perfect example was today. I was sitting on the couch. I'd been babysitting for our friend Melissa's, uh, Melissa and Aaron's little boy, Max, today. And I came home and I was worn out because, you know, he's four and he's got a lot of energy and it was like four hours. And I was just like sitting on the couch and I was finally relaxing and Mason saw that I was dozing off. And then he took his hands and started to do like fart noises at the, as loud as he possibly could. And every time I would start to doze off, he would do that. Honestly, Chris, it took everything in me not to turn around and smack him. Oh, man. I never I never have laid hands on our kids, but I will tell you, when you mess with my sleep, mama ain't happy. Mama bear. Turns yeah. into a bear, for real. Well, that's <laughs> for dang sure, but uh, I just went upstairs. I was like, I'm leaving you guys, and I got up and walked away, and you were like, what? Do you hate us? I'm like, no, I just, I'm tired and I'm cranky. And then before I say something I regret, I'm going to go upstairs. That's probably our best, best practice if you can, but not everybody has that opportunity to do that. Yeah. You know, they're living like a small little, like one bedroom shack, you know, kind of think where you're going to go. You know, that's what I always heard is that if you're going to cohabitat with a cohabitat <laughs> with another human being <laughs> in, in a dwelling, that it's ba- it's basically good to be able to like get your own like space away, your little private area if you can find a place to kind of get away from the other person. So like basically saying <laughs> if you open the door to the place, you're not like there they are. They're just like there because no place to really. Except you, whenever I go to do that, you come find me and then you just bring all of that chaotic energy into whatever it's space. It's not chaotic. Oh, it's, 100%. Not, no, it's not. No, it's not. Okay. So let it, listen, everybody. All right. Here's the deal. I go upstairs, I was watching the game, and then I finally doze off. I was like on the verge of getting a migraine. I finally doze off and you come into the door. You don't like quietly come in. You bust into the door. Oh, I don't do a Kramer. I don't do that. Oh, yes, you 100% every time you enter a room, Kramer is exactly how I would describe it. (laughs) And you come in with your hair all frazzled. Oh, I am Kramer. And then you go... uh, so it's almost seven o'clock. So what's going to happen for dinner? No, I said, am I cooking No, dinner? you just said, what's what's the deal with dinner? I'm going to get it started, I guess, is what you say. As I'm laying there, completely dead to well, the who world. who took care of it? Let me finish. I'm completely dead to the world. And I'm just like, huh? You're like, so what's the deal? Like, am I supposed to put it on the, the stovetop or in the oven or what? Because you talked about it going in the oven. And I'm like, I'm literally just waking up right now. Like, what are you talking to me about? You're like, well, I guess I'll figure it out myself then. I'm like, can you just please go away? Because I'm literally just barely waking up right now. Man. That's my life. See what I got to deal with? What do I have to deal with? No peace around here. No peace. Oh, uh, well, you know what? I took care of dinner and it was fantastic. Yeah, you, know? you did. And I took care of it for the rest of the weekend. I took care of every other meal this weekend. Hey, speaking of meals, we were- uh, Wait, what? you just, you were skipping away. Oh, you, you did- wanted affirmation for your oh, one meal. Okay, I, was, I made six, of, I made seven other meals wow, this weekend. you did? That's amazing. They were all fantastic, by yeah, the way. They were, they were so great. Chef Christine is in the house. You know, you're so sarcastic. I'm not. No, I'm not being real. I'm being for, for real now. Okay. They were great. You, you did a great job. I love. I know, I and lo- I'm tired. I love your cooking. I love when you cook more than anything else. I actually love it more than going out, especially going out to fast food. Okay. Well, I put a lot of effort in 
this weekend, so I'm very tired. So that means that you get to wait on me hand and foot. Oh, well, I do, you know. And, <laughs> <laughs> I have taken care of it. But but being that we were in the month of February, yes. Christine brought up this little challenge. No, that, I didn't. Jacob brought it up. Jacob brought the challenge It was up. Jacob's idea, not mine. Wow, where did he come from? Where did he get that idea from? I don't know. From? You have to tell them what the challenge is. The challenge is, is called No Fast Food February. Right. So part of it came about because we've been working with our youngest on uh, trying to get him to not be such a picky eater. And, you know, I think different parents battle this in different ways, but he's coming up on his 12th birthday and he has become extremely picky to the point of where we'll prepare a regular meal and he'll look at it and there'll be certain things like he won't touch them. And for me, that's not the way that I was raised. It's like you eat what's put in front of you. And of course, if there's like one part of the dinner that you don't like, you don't eat it, but you have to eat everything else. But there's times when I'm just making like a standard meal for the family and Mason will be like, oh, disgusting and not want to eat any of it. And so we've been working on trying to, plus he's been having like some tummy aches. We went to the doctor and they they had a talk with him about needing to have more fruits and vegetables. And so in this house, we started making him choose new vegetables to try every week so that we could build up his tastes for different things. And he has to have fruits or veggies at every meal. So we've been making him uh, smoothies with green juice and uh, fresh berries and spinach to try and get fiber up. And um, we have a challenge with him to try 10 new vegetables during this month. And there's a little prize that he'll get uh, once he does. But then uh, Jacob was, when we were talking through it, he said, why don't we do no fast food in February? It's a short month anyways. And so we all sat down and we came up with the rules. And what are the rules? Basically, anything with a drive-thru is off limits. Exactly. Anything with a drive-thru. So even if it's a taco shop and it has a drive-thru, we can't go there. If it's a chain restaurant and they typically have drive-thrus, even if that one doesn't, we don't go there. And so like McDonald's. Oh, definitely off the list. Off the list. For sure. But even like Panera, it all, they have a drive-thru. We don't go there. That's right. Uh, And then we had to talk about other things like Five Guys. So Five Guys technically is like a burger joint. We still deemed that as being fast food. Panda Express, we still deemed that as being fast food. And we discussed it as a family. And so uh, yesterday we decided to eat out for lunchtime. And we had a conversation about where we would go. And so Jacob said, well, we can go to Tacos Azul, which is just really close to our house. And they have dollar twenty five street tacos, and they Hooked said, it up. they said, well, technically, is that fast food?" So we talked through it, and we all agreed that we did not believe that it was fast food. So we went and we sat down. Um, and then the one other loophole that we get that I get is um coffee. So I can go through and get coffee at Starbucks, but I cannot get food. Well, I think when you think of the word fast food, I mean, everybody thinks of like your typical, McDonald's, Jack in the Box, Carl's Jr., Burger King. Uh, what else is there? Even In-N-Out. I love me so. I love In-N-Out so I much. Know. I love In-N-Out so much. 
Oh, man. But uh, I had to give it up for February. Yep. And how have you been feeling? I'm feeling okay. You know, I get, I get the shakes now and then, but other than that, I'm... Oh, my <laughs> word. Well, you know, we're spending a lot more on groceries and we have a lot more dishes. Oh, my goodness. Dishes. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I didn't know. We're, we're literally doing a full load of dishes every single day. Like, load, unload, load, un- load, unload. But we're not wasting as much time. We are sitting down and having meals together. That's important. And we are able to keep better track of what the kids are consuming. And uh, we did get an air fryer for Christmas. And so that's been helping where the kids can, we've been stocking the freezer with things like some chicken strips and chicken nuggets and fries. So if they do want to have something like that, they can. But also we've just been incorporating a lot of new fruits and veggies. So like last night I made a tri-tip and we had um, some oven baked potatoes that were quartered and we had a fruit salad and then I diced up jicama. What is jicama for those who don't mind? Well, it's in the Mexican culture. It's in a lot of like the vegetable and fruit cups that you would get with like the mango nada or like tahine that people eat it with. I love jicama. It's like a a very crunchy. It, it almost is like it's a, like a from the root family. It looks like a potato, like a funky shaped potato. You peel it and then you slice it into sticks or cubes. And it's kind of, it's very crunchy, kind of has a little bit of an earthy taste to it. Earthy but, taste? Yeah, yeah, it does have a little bit of an earthy taste to it. But I love um, jicama with uh, cucumbers and like dicing it up and making it into a salad. Um, also with tomatoes. I love nice. to chop up jicama and put it into salads. But um, I put it in with a fruit salad. And so we did get Mason to eat one whole jicama spear last night. Yeah, success. Yeah. And, you know, we've introduced a couple of other veggies that they actually really love. And um, asparagus being one of them. Well, especially if it's fried with, well, not fried, especially if it's cooked with bacon wrapped around it. Well, they only just tried it with bacon wrapped around it, but they had it two other times, just asparagus. And that was exciting. Yeah. Who doesn't love a good asparagus? Although, well, they didn't although, before this. Although it does make your pee smell weird. Okay. That's a little bit more than everybody needed to know. <laughs> but I don't know if you're down there smelling your pee, but you know, you know. Okay. Okay. Let's move on. No more potty talk. But, you know, it's just, we're trying new things. We're working on uh, just, you know, continuing to try and improve our family and set goals and trying to be healthier and more uh, aware of what we're putting in our bodies and putting in our minds. And I mean, it's just all around, I think, a good idea to try and be a little bit more conscious around those things. Yeah. You know, and speaking of trying new things, you know, we have a very fantastic guest this week who's talking about all about trying a crazy new thing that I don't think I would ever want to try. Absolutely. He is going to be talking about that and self-improvement and you're just going to get a lot out of it. So stay tuned. We're going to be back with him right after this. Are you in the middle of wedding planning and feeling overwhelmed? There's no need to fret, my friend. Christine Smith Designs is here to rescue you. Offering wedding planning, coordination, and wedding floral design services, let us help relieve your stress and make your wedding day dreams a reality. Visit us at christinesmithdesigns.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E smithdesigns.com and request a free consultation. You'll be so glad you did. 
And welcome back, everybody. Today, we have another fantastic, dynamic guest who's joining us all the way from the East Coast of the United States. Welcome to the show, Dave Albin. Hi, guys. It's nice. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Hey, Dave. Well, thanks for showing up today, man. We appreciate that, too. So where in the world are you joining us from today? Well, I'm nestled up here in the Appalachian Mountains. I'm in the northwestern corner of the state of North Carolina. So uh, I'm very close to the Tennessee and Virginia border. The Appalachian Mountains. Okay, how far? Appalachian Mountains. I I know. I can't ever pronounce it right either. But I think it's a really big range, isn't it? Like spans multiple states. Yeah, the Appalachian Trail starts all the way up in Maine, goes all the way to Georgia. That's incredible. Now, yeah. did Dolly Parton also grow up in the Appalachian Mountains? Um, I know that Dolly World is not too far from me in Tennessee, but I don't remember it being the Appalachians. I It seems to me it was um, uh, another mountain range. Um, I'll think of it tomorrow and call you. That's okay. I was, I get it all blurred together. You know, we have the Sierra Nevadas out here on the West coast, but, um, you know, there's so many beautiful, beautiful mountain ranges. What is the landscape like there other than of course being in the mountains? Is it like large trees or is it more just like rocks and boulders? What's it like? Um, it's very, very, um, dense, uh, when it comes to trees, Uh, I'm in Ash County. <clears throat> and Ash County is as we we grow more Christmas trees here than any other county in America. Oh, really? Is that what you're known for? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sounds we, like we the do. set of a Hallmark movie. Oh, Chris, it you would is, love it. Is. <laughs> uh, you guys, it's gorgeous. And here's the difference. You know, obviously the Sierra Nevadas and the Colorado Rockies and all that. And my buddy teases me all the time. He goes, oh, you don't really live in the mountains. I'm like, you want to bet, dude? Come on. You live at the mountains. I live in the mountains. There's a big difference. So have you lived there for a very long time? I've been here since uh, 2015. Oh, that's very, amazing. Very clean air. Uh, um, I'm about uh, 20, 25 minutes west of Boone, North Carolina, where Appalachian State University is. Uh, if, you, if you've ever heard of App State, uh, uh, anybody from Michigan out there that's listening to me right now wants to tear my head off uh, <laughs> simply because Appalachian State, App State pulled off the biggest upset in college football history. Uh, they went into Michigan and beat the Wolverines in 2010, I think it was. Well, that's and still a long they, time ago. The people that yeah. were there in college though, in 2010 have already graduated, gone post-grad, have already uh, gone through a career, got fired, and not on the next career. <laughs> well, yeah, but they haven't forgot it. They still exactly. got a big resentment wow. against App State. I can tell you, it's still they, there. They carry the scars, for Oh, sure. yeah, big time. And not only that, they had to pay App State like $2.7 million. Oh, Wow. Because right, of the so not only not only do they get beat, they had to cough up a couple million bucks, which is hilarious. That's insane. Okay, so you live in the mountains. Now, are you in like a cabin or yes. is it pretty industrialized no, up there? No. Okay. No, it's, it's I definitely have a cabin and it's very, very clean air. My cabin sits at about 3,400 feet above sea level. I have mountain spring water coming into the house. Ha! That's amazing. Uh, wow, it is. nice. It's very nice. Um, Wait, does it come out hot, like a hot spring? Uh, no. No, okay. it's, it's 57 degrees. Thank oh, you very much. okay, okay, okay. Yep. <laughs> In fact, uh, when I do my cold water shower every morning, it's pretty. It's cold year-round. 
Yeah, but well, those like, hot springs are amazing, though. I've been a, oh, camp, yeah. I've been camping. I was in Mammoth somewhere. I think it was Mammoth Mountain, and they had um, like hot water, like showers, and it didn't. You just turned the knob on, and it came out hot. And uh, it's kind of a trip because you think like you usually have to wait for the hot water to come in and all that stuff, but it's kind of a neat experience. Yeah. It, well, my old boss, Tony Robbins, um, he had a, he has a house in Sun Valley, and he he literally has a hot springs in front of his house. I think he has the only actual natural hot springs in a residential setting, whatever it was. Uh, yeah, and he had it dredged so you can put about a hundred people in there. That's crazy. Okay, but you live where you have a natural spring coming in. You mentioned a cold shower. Now, is that by choice, or do you only have cold water in your house? No, no, I've got, you know, I've got a nice cabin. Okay. Um, um, yeah, it's all, it's got all the luxuries. Well, obviously you've got Wi-Fi because you're talking to us. So, I mean, <laughs> and not only that, check this out. I have, I have uh, fiber optic. Ooh. How'd they get so that out I've there? Got, right? So I've got faster internet than Charlotte does. Oh, that's or crazy. Yep. How do they get it out there to you? Isn't that something? Yeah. So there's a company up here, Skyline Sky Best. And years ago, they decided they were going to put in fiber optic. And everybody said, you guys are crazy. You're nuts. You shouldn't do that. Well, it paid off really well because it attracted some companies. Um, Apple's building uh, a facility not too far from here. And one of the reasons they chose uh, Ash County is because of the high-speed internet. Mm, very well, look nice. Look at you. So, Change yeah. the world. <laughs> yeah, and I love it. It's great, man. It's, you know, it's really fast. Um, and it's funny because now I go other places like big cities. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I live up in the App Mountains and you guys have got slower internet than I do. That's oh, just gosh. ridiculous. I was struggling with it yesterday. There was just a little bit of wind and a little bit of rain. <sighs> and I couldn't get my Zoom screen to load. And I was running the speed test. I'm like, what is happening? And we're just like right on the edge of San Diego. So I'm a bit jealous right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, as well, you should be. <laughs> I <li> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I live in a spectacular place, you guys. It's absolutely, you know, uh, I, I live in a place, Fleet, it's called Fleetwood, and uh, there's nothing here. There's no Dollar General. There's no gas station. There's All we have is a post office and a couple of churches. So I have to drive about 20 minutes west to get to a little town called West Jefferson. And West Jefferson is a, just about as hallmark Christmas card beautiful as you've ever seen. Well, that sounds magical. But it from is. what Chris and I were reading about you, it sounds like your life wasn't always magical. And we're going to dig in today and we're going to just dokey. learn a little bit about like where you came from and what took you to where you're at now. Because I think the thing that stood out to me more than anything is your perseverance and your resilience and your courage. And I think that it'll be definitely very um, enlightening for our listeners. So let's dig right in. Tell sure. us a little bit, Dave, about uh, your early beginnings. I know that you mentioned that you, before we started the show, that you weren't always uh, a North Carolina person. No, no. Um, you know, a couple of months before, um, before I was born, uh, my biological father, uh, you know, we don't really know what happened. I don't have the full story. All I know is that he, this is in 1954, by the way. So he, we, he hurt his head. And so to save his life, they put a plate in his head. Well, there was a lot of pain associated with that plate. So he used to complain to mom all the time. And one day he turned to mom and he said, hey, I'm going to the grocery store. And uh, we never heard from him again. Oh, wow. So, I, so I've never seen him. No pictures, nothing. So I was born to a single mom. And mm. she already had two other boys from another marriage. 
And uh, we had a cousin that was living with us, and she, she was living with my grandmother, her mother. So there were six of us living in a one-bedroom apartment in Hollywood, California. So mom was working up the street at the Roosevelt, nice hotel. Uh, she had a good job. And, you know, she came out of the, what I believe is the greatest generation that's ever walked the planet. You know, they came through the Great Depression, mm -hmm. uh, World War II. And, of course, what a lot of people don't realize is that during World War II, when all the men were out fighting the war, guess what the women were doing? At everything. Home. Yeah. <laughs> they were doing everything. Literally, they built Jeeps, tanks, munitions. Uh, they, they, you know, without them, we would have lost the war because, you know, we had the men in Europe, like where my, uh, my adopted father was fighting the Nazis. And then, of course, my best friend's dad was in the Navy and he was over in the Pacific defending against the Japanese. So, again, all the moms were home. So, mom was known as Rosie the Riveter. She literally worked for McDonnell Douglas. She was up on the wings of airplanes, building airplanes. Wow. Nice. So she knew, you know what I mean? She knew hard work is my point of all that. She was very resourceful. That whole generation was. Um, but, you know, it wasn't enough. She couldn't feed six mouths. Right. I mean, that's the bottom line. So one day she went to her oldest sister, Pat, and said, hey, I can't feed David. Will you adopt him? And they said, Yes. And they did. So Bob and Pat Albin, who would have been my aunt and uncle, literally, uh, adopted, adopted me. So I moved from Hollywood to Long Beach. And, uh, you know, Bob was a career military officer. So we had a nice house. Uh, we had food on the table. You know, we had nice things. We traveled. We went, you know, you talked about the Sierras. You know, we went to Yosemite and we went to um, uh, Big Bear and Lake Arrowhead and Lake Havasu. We went up and down the California coast camping. My dad had a little trailer that he pulled behind the 57 Chevy that we had, station wagon. And so, you know, we did all those things. Um, and then... I mean, I literally had the perfect life, you guys. It was. It was, you know, a little house on the prairie for sure um, until the first day of summer, 1964. And that that first day, I'm I'm in there just watching TV, black and white television in the TV room, we called it, and uh, eating probably Captain Crunch or cereal or something. And mom came in and said, hey, David, come to the kitchen. We need to speak with you. Oh, and wow. And so I, I thought, hey, they're going to tell us where we're going camping, right? I, I literally thought that's what they were going to do. And they set me down, and Pat looked at me, and she put her hand on my arm, and she said, David, what we need to tell you is we're not your parents. Was that you like, had, oh, go ahead, Is that your first time finding that out? Yep. Like you had yep, no clue years old. before that? Nope. I, 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 I never put any of that together. It was, you know, again, first day of summer, boom, they set me down and said, boom, we're not your parents. Well, what does that mean? What do you mean? I'm 11 did, years old. How did it make you feel as an 11-year-old? I, 11 I, I don't even know, Chris. It was like bizarre. It was like, you know, it was like from the outer limits or something. You know, it is like walking somebody outside and said, hey, the sky's not blue. Well, what are you talking about? It looks pretty blue to me. But up until that point, did you, your interaction with them felt like parent and sibling, right? You Absolutely. Guys, everything felt, every, your friends, I'm sure, already knew that it was your yep. dad, that was your mom. Yep. You know, you refer to them as your mom and dad with school events and different things. And to find out that they're not, I, I couldn't even imagine what they'd be like. Well, and you know what was interesting? So they went on, they said, and by the way, you know your Aunt Dean? I'm like, yeah. And she goes, well, she's really your mother. And I'm like, I don't even like her. What? So, I mean, and here's what here's what I mean by that. I want to be really clear about yeah. that. When she was around me, she wanted to be around me. She wanted to sit next to me. She wanted to hold me. She wanted to hug me. She wanted to kiss me. And well, duh, I'm her son. Right. But I didn't know that. 
right? I, right. I just, I always just thought she was kind of like, you know, my weird aunt. I don't know. And then, you know, next thing I know, she's my mom. So, yeah, it was very, very bizarre. So, um, so Dave, because you were adopted around the age of five, but you did you not have any early memories of your aunt Dean actually being your mom? Like, it, it was totally blocked out from your memory? I mean, I did and I didn't. I remember being in Hollywood a lot. I remember being in that apartment. I remember looking out a window because um, we were, you know, right across the street from Hollywood High School. You know, I do have a lot of memories, but I just never put two and two together. Mm. Um, so, no, I didn't know. I really didn't. And, again, I, I have some of those memories um, because, you know, there was a whole bunch of us living in the house. You know, there was mom right. and my two stepbrothers and, and – or not stepbrothers, but half-brothers, excuse me, and then a cousin – um, and then my grandmother. So there was just a lot going on, you know, and Pat and Bob were there a lot anyway. They, you know, they came over all the time because, you know, Long Beach and Hollywood aren't that far from each other. And, um, so, uh, you know, there was just a lot of confusion. Um, it sounds like but, it. Yeah. But yeah, but like to Chris's question, no, I never really put two and two together until they told me. So what happened after that was two weeks after they told me this, they both started drinking. Well, that's when everything went to hell in a handbasket. Um, Pat, you know, oh, she was kind of a friendly, you know, um, I don't know. She would pass out. She wasn't, she wasn't mean. She was just kind of a happy drunk, if you will. But Bob, oh, God, he was not a nice guy. He was vicious. And, here, and, you know, when he was sober, he was a wonderful man. However, when he was drinking, he was not. He was volatile. He was dangerous. And so things got ugly really, really fast. Well, one day they went to the grocery store. You know, you could do that back in those days, right? You leave your kids home. Nobody cared. Uh, you just call a neighbor across the street and say, hey, Joanne, Bob and I are going to the grocery store. David's home. If he needs anything, you just come over across the street, right? Yeah, sure, of course. And so right. you did that. So when they went to the store that day, I want to know what this stuff is because I'm watching these two people transform into some pretty bizarre people when they drank it. So my curiosity got me. And so I knew where they're hiding it. They were hiding it in plain sight. I went and got a coffee cup, poured it about half full, and boom, I downed it. And I'm 11. Right. Right. So, and I never had a chance. It was like pouring rocket fuel in me. Yeah, we have an 11-year-old. And I'm thinking like he's he's upstairs right now playing in his little ball pit that we just got him and, you know, doing things that an 11-year-old does. and. Yep not thinking at all about alcohol. Nope. But what I'm wondering about, Dave, before we go deeper into that part of the story is, do you know now what triggered that conversation and what triggered them no. falling into alcoholism? Because it seems like very boom, boom. Like, what was the origin story for this line of the family going into this path? Because it seemed like such a deviation from what happened before. Well, apparently, as the story goes, they stopped drinking when they adopted me. Oh. So they were drinking before, and then yes. they took on a new child into their world. And they're like, well, we got better. We better be sober to take care of the kid. Well, there's that. But you got to remember what was going on in the, in the world at that moment, right? Kennedy had just been assassinated oh. in November of 63. My dad's military officer, he was working out of the Pentagon. He knew, he knew stuff was going on. 
there was a lot of stress on him. You know, the missiles were in Cuba, all that was going on. And again, he had access to information that people in the, because the information out there wasn't like it is today, right? You got your information from a radio or, right. a, or a newspaper or maybe, you know, a little bit of television. But Bob, you know, he had access to what's going on from a military standpoint. So there was a lot of stress. And then I guess the bottom line is them telling me that they weren't my parents, sent him over the edge. And then once Bob started, I guess Pat, you know, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. Right. And that's really all, I, you know, because other than that, I don't really know. I just know that everything in my life went, changed radically the day they both started, you know, when they started, when they told me and they started drinking. And then after I had that first drink. Well, um, what did it do to you at 11 years old? Did it make you sick? Did you throw it up? What happened? Nope. Nope. It was like rocket fuel. Like I said, I, it was exhilarating. You know, my body was just like, oh my, you know, cause I want, I started thinking and acting out alcoholically right then and there. What was I was probably the, an alcoholic on the spot. What was the drink? If you, if you remember what it was. It was brandy. Yeah, it was brandy. Oh, it so was it was a, actually hard. So it wasn't like beer or wine. It no, was it, was, it was brandy. Wow. It was a half gallon. And wow. Again, I poured it in a coffee cup, half full and drank it. And were and, there, did you have siblings around no. or were you their only child? I was, the, I was the only child. So here you are with these two parents that have fallen into addiction and your curiosity led you to try it out, which happens with kids, unfortunately. And instead of you being like, Ooh, this is disgusting. It was like magic potion. It, yeah. And you were instantly already, addicted. Uh, yes. Wow. Cause so, I started thinking out, I started thinking alcoholically right there on the spot. Cause uh, short at, uh, shortly after that, you know, I'm looking for more. Wow. And by the time I was a junior in high school, we moved this forward a little bit. Um, you know, they brought me in the principal's office shortly after I went into my junior year and they said, Alvin, you're out. I was dangerous. I was volatile. Uh, I, you know, um, again, you know, Bob Alvin being military, I had access, you know, we were on the range all the time shooting. I mean, he, they got me a 22 rifle when I was a young kid and, and I was good. I was a really good shot. And, and then I graduated from a 22 um, uh, rifle to an M to a, uh, a 30, a 30, 30. Um, and you know, I, we, I had an M1 carbine 30 caliber, and then I went to a 30 odd six. And so dad just took me to the range. We had lots of, we had lots of ammunition. Let's put it that way. <laughs> right. I wonder why. Um, but so what I've observed from, because I work in education is kids that get exposed to, uh, alcohol at a young age, it can tend to be a gateway drug for them. So did you stick with alcohol or were you chasing the next high? Did it open the door to other things? Absolutely. Yeah. But at the time I was at a junior in high school, I was already doing amphetamines and, and, um, cocaine and, and, you know, like you said, anything that was addictive, heck, I was addicted to chocolate chip cookies for crying out loud, right? We're I mean, all, anything, we, we all are, I mean, let's admit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right, I good. mean, you know, yeah. So, you know what I mean? Any Anything that I could either avoid pain or chase pleasure with, um, I was all in. Wow. Um, and, and, and so, you know, at that point, my junior year, when I got kicked out, I really didn't care, didn't bother me. I didn't like high school anyway. I didn't fit in. 
And I, there was a Paul Simon song back in those days. And one of the lyrics was when I think back to, when I think back to all the crap I learned in high school, it's a wonder I can think at all. I believe mm-hmm. is what the lyric was. And that was like my theme song. Uh, but I didn't think for a moment like, Oh, Hey, I'm not going to graduate high school. I'm not going to be able to make money. I didn't believe that at all. Not for a second because I was already an entrepreneur. So when I was young, I had a paper route. That was one of my first jobs. And that's a job. That's a full-time job. You got to be an entrepreneur. Right. Seven, seven days a week. Right. You go, you go get your papers, you fold them, you put a rubber band around them, you put them in your saddlebags, you put them on your bike and you go deliver them. You know, back in the good old days, now everybody just throws them <laughs> by car. Even if we, if we even have papers, I don't know if we even have them anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't even know they do that anymore. Right. And, and you were, you were rewarded if you got that paper in the right place on the porch next to the driveway, whatever they wanted, you know, they'd give you a quarter, maybe 50 cents, sometimes a dollar nice. for the month. Right. Yeah. And in what, what are we talking about here? 63, 64, 65. So I had that. That was one of my jobs. My other job is I li- we lived right across the street from a golf course, El Dorado golf course in Long Beach, East Long Beach. And so here's what I learned about golfers early on. They suck. they're horrible right and so here's what i knew if i get on my stingray bike and i went and rode the perimeter of the golf course guess what i found golf balls you betcha retrieve them them and resell them (laughs) yeah i cleaned them up i went back to the i go back to the pro shop and in the trash can outside they throw the boxes away that the new balls came in well i'd grab them take them home no way yeah i cleaned them up put them in the boxes took it back in the parking lot and said hey boys Brand new want to buy, your, brand, want to buy new your balls back? <laughs> yes. Well, I wouldn't even say that. I would say, hey, got brand new balls here. <laughs> yeah, right. Price. Yeah. And no, they never asked. They just, they bought them. Yeah. Uh, right. And then mom, you know, Pat grew beautiful flowers. Again, she came out of the Great Depression, man. She knew how to do everything. She had a green thumb. She grew beautiful flowers in the backyard. Huge flower bed full of flowers. Well, she would cut them. And here's, what's, here's what she did. It's really interesting. She would cut them at an angle, not at the bottom. And the reason she did that is because it opened up more surface area so more water would get into the flower and keep it alive longer. The other thing she did, she she had a beautiful eye for color, so she'd arrange them, she'd put them in a bucket, and then she'd put a little bit of 7-Up in the water of the bucket. Because the sugar gets absorbed. It's like the flower food. I'm a florist, so I get it. There you go, right? And so the florist was like, how come this kid is out, you know, his flowers are outlasting ours three to one? And he, they're buying them off the street corner from some kid. I don't think they knew back then. I don't know what they knew. I just yeah. know that lots of repeat business. That's amazing. So you're yeah, right? rolling was, in the dough and I was, a, a yeah. young man. And now yeah. you're, you're thinking, heck, I don't need this education. I can I fend for myself. And then at this time, if we're rolling forward in terms of the years, we're getting closer to if not right at like the seventies when there was a lot of growth in the drug industry. So did that accessibility have any role to play in you getting into drugs and not just alcohol? You betcha. Wow. Cause I was hanging, you know, we are who we spend time with. Right? right. So I was hanging with, you know, drug dealers and pimps and prostitutes and gang members. And so I fit right in. Sure. Let's go. Um, and, and back then the seventies, with all due respect, drugs were clean. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to worry about fentanyl. You didn't have to worry about, you know, what's in it. Um, it, everything was pretty clean back then. And, and so to kind of roll that forward, uh, the, we actually lived in a place, um, 
there's a there's a really famous bar in Long Beach. It's called Joe Jost, and it's a it's a it's a there's several movies been um, um, been done there. And uh, right next door, uh, the original the house that I was living in originally was a blacksmith shop. Well, they raised it with hydraulics back in the '40s, and they built a plumbing shop on underneath it. Well, we lived in the house upstairs. It was a four-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath house. And my buddy found the house. I don't know how he did it. And we lived up there for a long time. And so we were smack dab in the middle of, you know, Long Beach down in, you know, Anaheim Street, which is wow. not exactly a nice place or nicest part of town. The, the bar across the street from Joe Joe's was called the Cinnabar. <laughs> <laughs> right? So that was my bar of choice. And, and so you're I talking right like, in. like sin, like sinner, not like cinnamon sin. roll. C I N. It was spelled C I N N. Sin a bar. Huh. Well, you know what'd be funny if they got replaced by a cinnabon. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, it would have been. A, it would have changed the mood. That's for yeah. sure. Um, so. I was thinking sinner, like S I N N A. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Like yeah. sin is welcome. It's okay. one of those bars. It's one of those bars when you go in, they frisk you. Oh. And if you, and if you don't have a weapon, they issue you one, right? So oh, it's one of those it. kind of places, right? <laughs> wow, wow. So uh, anyway, uh, so I lived there for several years. And, uh, you know, I, I married my childhood sweetheart, and that lasted about 15 minutes, uh, literally. <laughs> well, we, well, we spent, well, 15 minutes, huh? Well, we, I, I can tell you we were in Hawaii for two weeks on the honeymoon, and we were on the honeymoon longer than we were married. So, Oh, we, wow. That's insane. But, you know, when you're in that kind of a headspace and you're not yeah. thinking with your rational brain, you're thinking with your addicted brain, people make decisions that they think are best. And then when you sober up, it's a different reality. It's completely. Yeah. In fact, when I, when I woke up on June 8th, 1988, I'm in my third marriage. Wow. I'm married to a bartender. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. That was convenient. She had three kids. They were kind of ironic, actually. You think about it. Yeah. Right. And uh, and so uh, I don't know. That day was the, that was D Day, because uh, I'm like when I woke up that morning, I said, "That's it. We're done. I'm out. I'm not doing this anymore. I can't." But there was so much physical and emotional pain at that moment. Um, and I am grossly addicted to heroin and cocaine and alcohol and the chocolate chip cookies. Mm. Um, and so that was when I woke up that morning, I said, I can't. And so the only thought I had in that particular moment was take your life. Mm. And so I loaded my pistol. And as I'm preparing to do that, um, it dawns on me, whoa, wait a minute, dude, you pull that trigger. Maybe your maybe your problems are over. But those three kids and their mom upstairs that you love, by the way, I was living in the basement. They mm. lived upstairs just, you know, because I was in such bad shape. But, you know, you pull that trigger, you're going to kill them. Right. You're going to ruin their life. You can't do that. You've got to come up with another solution here, pal. Suck it up. And so the next thought I had was, well, why don't you just call Alcoholics Anonymous? Mm. Now, here's what's interesting about that. I didn't even know who the hell AA was. I didn't know anybody in AA. I'd never been to AA, and yet there's the thought. Well, where'd that come from? And so I did. Well, I like called Alcoholics Anonymous. Like in the 80s, that was, I know there's so many media campaigns now to build awareness, but 
you know, didn't AA start in like the seventies or eighties? Was it still no. a, like a smaller organization or has it been around a long time? Oh no. AA has been around since the thirties. Oh, wow. wow I have no weird. idea. I wonder if there's yeah. a big surge of it in the eighties and maybe nineties and during that time. That's, well, that's when we grew up, but maybe that's when you kind of heard about it, like Christine was saying. Well, I just know that I, you know, when I call, I, there's a, there's an, there's a thing called intergroup. And so when you call directory assistance back in those days, you dialed 411 and, you know, can I get the number to Alcoholics Anonymous? They give you the number. So when you called in, there was a thing called intergroup and, and, and that was just members of AA who would go through different, um, um, uh, you know, they would all volunteer for different uh, time zone, time slots to answer the phone for intergroup. So I got this woman on the phone who I've affectionately nicknamed Madge. Mm. And the reason I nicknamed her Madge is because she talked like this. <laughs> right? She probably smoked two packs right. of Paul Mall non-filters a day. Right. But I'll tell you what, she was a badass. She was a gatekeeper. That's her job. Her job was to interview you and see if you said the right thing. She would call somebody to come pick you up. Wow. And she did. She called a guy by the name of Lauren. And he came and picked me up and took me to my first AA meeting. That was on June 8th, 1988. And I never looked back. Wow. That was hard. You know, I, in fact, I've had some conversations with some people in Tony's world, in the psychiatry, psychology world. And they said, the chances of you making it based on, based on alcohol, uh, cocaine, and heroin, you know, a couple million to one. Right. I'm like, don't tell me the odds. I don't want to know the odds. Well, speaking of the odds, it's funny. Someone said once a while ago, I heard a scientist talk about this, how the odds that you even exist are like one in a million or whatever. Just, just a scientific. It's one, in, it's one in 400 trillion. Is that what it is? Yeah. 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 And I don't think that's accurate. I think it's higher than that, but that's just me. Wow. Because you have to think about it, right? I mean, you mm. know, if you, if you, you break that down. You know, it's like, okay, so how many eggs did your mother drop in her lifetime? Well, how many of those eggs could create you? One. Right. Okay, so dad helped. Yeah. Well, all right, so how many swimmers were in that group? <laughs> right. Well, you know, that that's somewhere in the area between 60 to 100 million. I mean, if you just look at the numbers right there. Right. That's not counting your grandparents <laughs> and your great-grandparents and, you know. But on that back, June 8th day, you weren't thinking about that. You were just no, thinking, I no, have hit rock bottom. No, it's done. I want the pain to stop, period, right? If I've learned anything from Tony Robbins uh, early on, I remember him saying, we'll do more to avoid pain than we will to gain pleasure. And he's right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely so, right. Dave, what was your first experience going into an AA for the first time? What was it like? It was magnificent. Because I was finally in a place where I felt like I belonged. Because when these men, it was an all-men's group, and when they looked me in the eye and said, hey, we know how you feel, they did. They're badasses. Yeah. These are alcoholics. Yeah. These are professional drinkers, okay? These aren't a bunch of rookies. Right. Uh, or, people, or people pretending that they, you know, belong in a group. But they're just, you know, you know you're putting on a fake persona of, of what you need. Right. Well, you know, what they did, Chris, is that um, – they took a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and they all signed it. They wrote their name. On the inside cover, they wrote, before you take that first drink, call one of us. And so what they do is put their first name and their phone number. And they mm. gave me the book. And they sent me home with it. In fact, the next morning at 8 o'clock in the morning, one of the guys, John, called me. And he said, uh, hey, Dave, good morning. How you feeling? And I'm like, how do you think I'm feeling? 
Are you kidding me? I want to kill somebody. I might start with you for calling me at 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. Yeah, no problem. He goes, hey, man, you know, when we talked yesterday, um, you know, I know where you are. You live right around the corner from me. Let me do this. Let me come pick you up. Let me take you to breakfast. Mm. And, uh, and I'll take you to another AA meeting. Wow. Oh. And that's how it started. I'm threatening the guy on the phone, and he's going to come pick me up for crying out loud. Because he heard through the pain. Well, you know, that's, see, that's how AA, people don't understand how AA works. Look, the 12 steps are there to put your life back together, obviously. Yeah, the 12 traditions that help you operate within the group. But in the middle, there's this thing called the preamble. And the preamble says, when anyone anywhere reaches out, I want the hand of AA to be there. And for that, I'm responsible. Mm. And I took that to heart. That meant a lot to me because those men were showing me. They were there constantly. I had probably six, seven, eight guys that were watching me like a hawk because they knew. I went in there and said, hey, I almost put a bullet in my head this morning. How's that for, you know, am I qualified to be here? <laughs> right. Right, because there's no, there's, there is no, there's no membership, right? Every, everybody's just fully self-contained, if you will. There's no, nobody's in charge. Mm -hmm. right? You're just there. And, you know, if you want to put a dollar in the basket, do it. If you don't, don't. Right. And that's the beauty of AA. So again, I took to it like a duck to water and I did everything those men told me to do. All of it. Anything they told me to do, hell, if they told me, hey, I want you to meet me in the middle of Times Square and, you know, tomorrow at eight o'clock and, and, you know, uh, give me an hour to draw a crowd and I want you to kiss my butt right there in the middle of Times Square, <laughs> I'd have done it. I didn't care. I, I I knew that this was it. I knew this was my last hope. And and so, again, I just did whatever those men told me to do. And again, it worked. So at this time, you're now part of the community that makes up AA. What's happening at home with your wife and three kids where you were living downstairs in the basement? Did they continue to be in your life or did you leave that life? One of them, the, the oldest daughter did. She was getting, she was going into high school. And so uh, we split up with her mother and her mother took the other two kids and, and she left Lenny with me. Mm. And so I was going to AA. And so, you know, um, uh, and so that's what was going on. So, you know, my, my ex-wife lost her drinking buddy. Oh, she got was, it. She was. She oh, drank she, a lot. Oh, as she well. drank too. Did you ever try to get her to go to AA also? No, no, no. Never did. We kind of once we once we broke off. Once I started going to AA, I went in one direction. She went in another direction. Oh, uh, that's usually what happens. I heard about that with couples that are you know quote partying together a lot with drugs or alcohol. Is that one tries to go the sober route and they try to bring the other one over with them and. It's some of, they're just not ready. You know, just not, mm -hmm. it's not part of their journey. Yeah. You know, they, they don't want to nope. be dedicated to even try. And that usually, usually ends the, ends the relationship, I would think. Yeah, it does. You're absolutely right. Um, and, 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 and again, you, you have to be willing. Right. You've got to be ready, right? You're not going to get sober for someone else. You, you, you've got to go, hey, this is me, period. If you're blessed enough or lucky enough to get to AA, and you do what these men and women tell you to do, you got a real good shot at it. Um, 
And so I did. Uh, you know, again, I, I, I got involved with intergroup. I got involved. Uh, I started going to prison meetings. I started going to, uh, you know, anything that was AA, picnics, dances, whatever. In fact, that's how I met my, uh, my, my, my children's mother. I went to a New Year's Eve dance. And, uh, and I'm over there, you know, the thing, the ball falls and, you know, all the guys are standing over here and the, all the girls are standing over there, typical dance in AA. And so when I got ready to leave, I'm walking out the door and this gorgeous little blonde comes running up to me and she goes, are you leaving? And I said, yeah. And she goes, will you dance with me before you go? And I go, I don't dance, but I'll dance with you. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, that's my line too. Is that your line? Yeah, Yeah. go ahead and use that. Yeah, you guys can use that out there. And so that was it. You know, uh, I was 12 years older than she was and her mother and father were both in AA. And so it was, you know, boom, it was magical. We have two beautiful kids and grandkids now and we separate. We were married for, you know, 20 years. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, but, but anyway, that's how that, that's how that whole, that whole part played out. But what was interesting backing up to when I first got sober, I had insomnia. Mm. My sleep patterns were all over the place. And so I was up late one night, three o'clock in the morning, and there he was. You know, Mr. Enthusiasm, Mr. Gunthy Ranker, you know, he owned the airways back then when it came to infomercials. Tony, a young, vibrant Tony Robbins. Oh, banana hands. Yeah. (laughs) He was selling personal power, right? It was a 30-day program for total success, he called it. And when I first listened to Tony, I couldn't stand him. I thought he was a total ass. I thought he was pompous, egotistical. But he said two things that got me. As I said earlier, he said, you know, we'll do more to avoid pain than we will to gain pleasure. And I'm like, what are you, are you talking to me? Because that's why I drank and drugged. I was either running from pain or chasing pleasure uh, for a good portion of my life with the drinking and the drugging. Well, but what really got me is one of the things he said was, how do humans make decisions? He said, the way we make decisions is out of inspiration or desperation. (laughs) And I'm like, well, damn, I'm pretty desperate. Maybe I should listen to this guy. And so I bought his program and he sent it to me, came in a big box. It was a 30 day program, came on these little white things called cassette tapes. No oh. way. Yeah. Right. Check that out. I was, just Audio, was it, was it, was it uh, actual VHS or was it video? No, they were, they were cassette tapes. Oh yeah. So you're like walking around with a Walkman listening to Tony Robbins I in was. your ears? I was, I was, well, I was actually listening to most of the program at home, but he had subliminal tapes that you could listen to on the weekends. And because I started doing what he was telling me to do, I started exercising and I started walking and I started listening to those subliminal tapes on, on a Walkman. Absolutely. Wow. On my walks. So uh, what happened there was I ended up loaning the program to a buddy of mine in AA I had a buddy come up and he goes, what's going on with you, man? You seem really motivated. You know, you're really encouraging. You're giving really great advice to the people here that are coming in in AA. He goes, what's going on? And I go, well, I've been listening to this guy named Tony Robbins. And he goes, I know who Tony Robbins is. I bought his book. He goes, but I never read it. I was like, okay, well. (laughs) That's not going to help. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. how often does that show up in your life? And so I said, look, man, I'll loan you my program if you promise to go through it. Mm. And he did. And he went through it. Well, this was all going down in 88, 89. Well, seven years later, 1995, my phone rings and it's Dan. It's my buddy from AA. And he goes, hey, man, did you know that Tony Robbins is coming to town? And I'm like, no, I had no clue. Why? He goes, dude, come on. We can go see him. Let's go. You got me into this. 
<laughs> like, yeah, okay, well, wait a minute. Okay, yeah, all right, I can go. All right, cool, I'll go. He goes, great, I'll call you back. I'll go make the arrangements. Okay, but he, before before we go into that part, had you been sticking with the program for that whole seven years or was it like a you listened one time, got a few tidbits and moved on? No, I, I, I kind of, I, I bit off the personal development. I started chewing it. You know, I started okay. listening to other people. As well, Tony Robbins and Jim Rohn and Norman Vincent Peale and and you know a, a, a bunch of them. Okay. And I loved it. I liked it. I really enjoyed listening because it, it was encouraging, right? Mm -hmm. I liked it. And so I was kind of I, I didn't know it at the time, but I was immersing myself in the personal development industry. So um, when when Dan called me back, you know after. Um, uh, he went and made the arrangements. He said, all right, so here's what they told us to do. Number one, we need to hydrate. You got to drink a lot of water. This is a four-day event. Okay, great. What else? He said, bring snacks. We're going to spend a lot of time in the room. Got it. What else? Bring a good attitude and be ready to play full out. Okay, how much was the ticket? 695 bucks. Oh, man. I'm like, what? I, I mean, what does that equate? To? That's 95. What does that equate to today? Probably about... 2000 maybe one I'm thinking like 1.3 1 1.2 1 uh you know something right or buy bitcoin for crying out loud <laughs> yeah, yeah so yeah it was a lot he goes don't worry you can pay me back and I go I got the money don't worry about it I'll pay you so and just he's getting ready to get off the phone he goes oh wait by the way I got to I almost forgot to tell you the most important part we're going to be doing a fire walk and and I'm like Come again? my brain went no a what no. a what? <laughs> you're right a what? What does that mean? I don't know what that means. I don't know what a fire is. That, is. Metaphorically speaking, like you're going to walk with fire to get inspired to do something better in your life. Well, okay. But that, I went, no. I went, not just no. Hell no. I'm not doing that. Fire and walk shouldn't be in the same sentence. Unless you're running from it, maybe. <laughs> well, yeah, right. But I, here's the thing. Every decision I'm making at this point is, is driven by fear. And when I say fear, I mean forget everything and run. Not oh, face yeah. everything and rise, right? Metaphorically. So I'm like, no, but I'm not going to say that to Dan. I don't want him to think I'm a coward. I'm, I'm going along with it. I'm being subservient, right? Sure. Yeah. Hey, Dan sounds interesting. Yeah, great. All right. See you then. Well, the big day comes and you get there and, and, and we get in our seats with 3,500 people. And Tony took the stage at two o'clock in the afternoon. Well, the next thing I know, it's after midnight. 10 hours in a room with Robbins. Remember, bring snacks or you'll starve to death? No kidding. <laughs> so, were, you, wow. were you immersed the entire time? Like oh, totally yeah. mesmerized? He's, he's, he's captivating. Yeah, you you don't even want to go to the bathroom so when he's 10 on stage. Hour, 10 hours didn't feel like 10 hours. No, it did. It went by quickly. But all of a sudden he goes, take your shoes off. Well, I've already made a decision. I'm not doing this firewalk. It ain't going to happen. <laughs> and I'm like, so I'm not going to take my shoes off. Well, I got a big problem. I'm there with 3,500 people. Guess what they're doing? Taking they're, their shoes they're off. They're getting in line. Like, you <laughs> idiots. What's wrong with you? You're falling for it. Okay? Don't go towards the light. And so now I've got a dilemma. What am I going to do? Not take my shoes off and walk out there with 3,500 people pointing at me because I'm the only guy wearing my shoes? No. So my plan is, okay, look, just calm down. When you get out there, lose your buddy and go hide in the back. No one is going to know. They're going to know. Nice plan. I like it. <laughs> yeah, right? I, I'm going like, to snacks. I'm going to snack by you. <laughs> yeah. I can take some snacks. I'll go back here, have a good time, watch these idiots burn their feet off. I'll this is going to be great. 
<laughs> well, I seriously would come back with marshmallows and, and grab right, right. Where's the s'mores? Um, but so, but it gets worse. Uh oh. Because when you go out there, he's got everybody clapping and chanting. So now you got 35 people going out there going, yes, yes, yes. I'm walking out there going, no, uh uh, ain't gonna happen. Well, it gets worse. Because when you get out in this big giant parking lot where they facilitate the firewalk, he's got African drummers. Okay. Oh boy. Dun 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 dun. It's I like mean, Jumanji. <laughs> uh, exactly. And you're like, and I'm like going, you got to be kidding me. Well, I ditch my buddy, which is easy to do in 3,500 people, and then I go hide in the back. Well, how do you set up a? How do you firewalk 3,500 people? Well, you start a big fire early in the day. And you build a big pit, like 35 feet wide, maybe 70 feet long. And you put cord after cord after cord of hardwood on it, and you burn it all day. Well, after 10 hours, it renders. And you get this big, giant, beautiful pile of blue coals. And so what you do is you take wheelbarrows over there, you load the coals in a wheelbarrow, you bring a wheelbarrow over in between two lanes of sod, a fire lane. And it's grass. And it's probably three feet wide, maybe 15 feet long. And what they do is they just take a flathead shovel and they take this coals and they sprinkle them on top of that grass and they pound them down and that's what you walk on. Well, I'm in the back. I'm hiding now. Well, why did Tony Robbins bring firewalking into his seminars? Because he knows. Firewalking has been around a thousand years used by cultures all over the planet. He knows or knew and learned that it's one of the most life-changing experiences on earth. He also knows that if you don't do it, you're going to miss the paradigm shift. And it's, you know, you're not going to have the benefit of that experience. He also knows there's people like me. So what's he do? He trains people to come find you. Oh. So I'm back there. I think I got it all figured out. No, not so much. Here comes this guy out of nowhere. And he gets about 20 feet from me, makes eye contact with me, won't take his eyes off me, gets close to me, and he looks at me like a dog that's heard a funny noise, right? Twist his head sideways kind of thing. <clears throat> and he looks at me and he goes, hey, man, are you okay? <laughs> and of course, when we're not okay, we lie, right? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine, man. All good here. Move along. Nothing to see here, pal. And he looks at me and he goes, hey, man, are you going to walk tonight? And I'm like, absolutely not. I, I want to say, yeah, I'm going to walk right out the door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What? You didn't get the memo? What do you think I'm hiding in the back, you idiot? And and then here's a stranger. By the way, I don't know who this guy is to this day. Hmm. Without without him, I'm not on your podcast today. Yeah. And I had and I and I would have never been part of walking tens, hundreds of thousands of people without this guy because the question he asked me was, well, wouldn't you at least like to watch? And I'm like, well, sure. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah, let's go watch these people burn their feet off. <clears throat> and he goes, well, listen, man, you can't see anything from way back here. He's right. <laughs> I'm 100 yards away. I can't see anything. I can hear it. People are already firewalking, right? And they're screaming and yelling and celebrating. The drums are going. People are chanting. I mean, you know, again, it's, it's a dog and pony show unlike anything you've ever experienced. And he said, well, listen, man, just get in line and a bit. <laughs> Get in line, and eventually you'll get up there. You'll be able to see it. Because I got 3,500 people standing in front of me. I can't see anything. Right. So I took the bait, and I got in line. And I'm kind of walking along. And next thing I know, another stranger comes up to me. And he whispers in my ear, and he says, he knows when you're ready. When he says go, you go. And this guy just went pew. 
and disappeared into the night. And I'm like, what do you, what? What do you mean he knows when you're ready? When he says, go, you go. What, what does that even mean? And so now I'm kind of walking along. And again, I got all these people in front of me. You can't see it. But I get to a point where I can see at an angle. And, and, and I can see them. And they're walking. And every race, every creed, every color, they're doing it. And my brain is going, you've got to be killing people. You're out of your mind. Why on earth would you do this? We're mammals, man. We're taught to run from fire. And these people are walking on it? And so now I'm mesmerized. Can't take your eyes off. It's like a car accident, right? You can't not look at it. And I'm watching and I'm watching and I'm watching. All of a sudden, boom, guess where I am? Front of the line. I'm at the front of the line. Okay, and now pause, it- pause before you go any further because I have a question for you. Before you get here, because I've wondered this, the whole fire fire walk experience, is it putting behavior before belief or are you like supposed to change your mindset about yourself so that you don't feel the fire? Because in my mind, it's like, if I don't have some kind of adrenaline and I'm like, I could do anything, then when I walk across, I'm going to like incinerate. It's going to be like the wicked witch with water. Like I'm just going to melt. <laughs> so like <clears throat> it doesn't sound like that though. It sounds like you're doubting it and resisting it. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, well, he doesn't believe he can do it. So the minute that he steps on there, he's literally toast, like burned to a crisp. Great distinction. Did that happen? No. You didn't burn. And, and he, Nope. And here's why. So I'm standing there and I'm looking into the abyss. I can't, t- I'm staring at the lane and the, and the coals are glowing bright red. I mean, they're just bright red and the wheelbarrow's right there. You can feel the heat coming off. So it got real, real fast. So as I'm staring into the abyss, there's a trainer standing there and all of a sudden the trainer goes, eyes up like you idiot. You were in a room for 10 hours with Tony Robbins. What did he teach you to do? Mm-hmm. Keep your eyes up. Don't stare at what you fear. Look to the celebration end because everything you've ever wanted is sitting right over there on the other side of your comfort zone. And so now my eyes are up, right? And all of a sudden the trainer goes, squeeze your fist and say yes. And I went, yes. And he went, stronger. And I I went, yes. Well, he could tell. I'm still not in a peak state. I'm leaving a lot on the table. So he gets right on my face and he screams at me. And so I throw my hands in the air and I screamed yes as loud as I could. And boom, guess what's released? Adrenaline. All the other chemicals in my body, fight or flight. And as, I, and as soon as I did that, the trainer went, go, go, go. Poo. I took off. Well, remember the guy that came up? He knows when you're ready. When he says, go, you go. I went. And so here's the first thing I learned about firewalking. When you take the first step, Oh, you'll take the second, third, fourth, and fifth. I promise you. So what Tony does is he stages two people at the end of the fire lane, and they catch you. And they're like, stop, wipe your feet and celebrate. And so I'm now I'm wiping my feet, and I'm celebrating. And all of a sudden, it dawns on me. I can feel it. I burnt myself really bad. And I look at my foot, my right foot, and it's dirty. There's no burns. Hmm. I look at my other foot. Yeah, same thing. It's dirty. No burns. And so now I just walked on coals that are 1,000 degrees, and here's what's interesting. I don't have a clue how I did it, right? But, but I did it. 
So I'm taking, I'm taking, I'm taking credit for it, right? You know, you know what I mean? I think most people have done something. You do something really insanely cool, but and you did it. You don't even really know how you did it, but you did it. So you're going to take credit for it. Cause I'm like, yep, that's me. I'm that guy. I just did that. Well, when you're standing in the celebration and with 3,000 people, it is exhilarating. Because in that moment, you think you can do anything. Right. Right? It's like, okay, let's go get on the bus, folks. Let's go climb Mount Everest. Well, so, and then it's collective. Now, your self-worth, your self-confidence, and your self-belief about yourself instantly gets raised. And it's vibrational, again, because you're with a whole bunch of other people. So now you have that collective attitude firewalk camaraderie, the connection. Mm-hmm. automatically puts you in, like, you've known these people your entire life. And here's where it gets really interesting, you guys, was the next day. Granted, that night was very interesting. No, I did not wash my feet when I went to bed that night. Um, but so we, so now we're going into day two. Remember, this is a four-day event, and that was, that was day one, the evening thereof. And so now we're going into day two. And so now you have 3,500 people standing in the foyer getting ready to go into the venue. And to this day, I've never seen or witnessed anything like it in my life. Hmm. It was so beautiful because people are hugging and they're laughing and they're crying and they're connecting humanistically, unlike anything I've ever seen or experienced. I've never seen anything like it in my life other than another Tony Robbins seminar. So, you know, you know, you just, you know, it's like, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. wait a minute here, people. Did, did we drink the Kool-Aid last night? Yeah, you sure did. And so that's why Tony uses it because he's got all that leverage going into day two. Right. Well, later in the event, I met one of Tony's trainers, a guy by the name of Ted Macy. Super, super sweet guy. Uh, him and his wife, Mary, both were trainers for Tony. And so I'm just talking to Ted, and I said, so what's it like being in this environment on a regular basis? He goes, oh, my gosh. It's unbelievable. And he said, you know, you need to come back and get yourself in this environment, too, if you can. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, you see all these people standing over there with those black shirts and the pink writing on the back? Yeah. He goes, dude, they're volunteers. They're just oh. like you. Right, so here's what you do. When you go home, call Robbins Research and ask them for a volunteer crew application. They'll send you one. And maybe they'll select you. And I did just that. And I got a letter in the mail like nine weeks after I did that. And it said, Dave Alvin, congratulations. You've been selected to crew with the Anthony Robbins companies. Wow. Right, well, cover my ass happy. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So there I am. I'm in the environment. And I'm there. And, um, you know, when you fill out the application, it's pretty extensive. They, you know, they, they want to know a lot about you. Well, number one, I had a military and a security background. So they chose me to put me on the security detail to help take care of Tony's celebrities. Cause he's got a ton of them that come to these events. Right. Um, and because I lived on a farm at the time, I knew how to use a log splitter. I know what a hatch is for. I know what kindling's for. I know what hardwood is. And so they put me on the fire building team too. And that's where I wanted to be. And that's where the magic happened. And that's when, you know, the next thing I know, I'm being offered a position. I crewed about, I don't know, five or six times. And by the way, you're paying your own way. Right. So you're, right, you're, so you're spending 1500 bucks, two grand, every time you go crew. Wow. Well, so my wife not, didn't not, like that. Not a paying good, not a paying gig. You got, you got to pay Not a paying either. gig. No, you're a volunteer. You're paying for it. My wife's like, who the hell is this Tony Robbins guy? Because she doesn't know anything about him. Nothing. Just that, you know, some motivational guy. That I'm interested in. Hmm. Well, then they did something really smart. Once they once they hired me as a subcontractor, they gave me a free ticket. And so I took my wife. 
And so at the end of the event, when she went through it, we were in Fort Lauderdale and we were just walking on the beach, you know, after she graduated. And she goes, okay, I get it. Uh, I drank the Kool-Aid. This guy's a badass. If you want to roll with him, roll with him. Go. As long as you, as long as we get paid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Which, you know, I wasn't making a lot of money, but at least I was paying my own way. And we threw a couple hundred dollars in the bank. Right. So that was all going down in 95 and 96, 97. And then in 2003, uh, Robbins offered me the fire captain position, which meant that I would take over all of Tony's firewalks globally. Wow. And so I, we were homeschooling the kids at that time. And I said, you know, this is going to be a rough one for me because I don't want to be away from my kids. I'm their teacher. And they stepped right up and said, hey, we'll, we'll pay to have your, Tony wants you, man. He'll pay to have your kids on the road. Wow. So they're, so my daughter's like seven, my son's 10. And uh, their very first event, you know, my kids have had it really, really bad. Their first event was Sydney, Australia. Oh, what a rough life. Yeah, pray for them. Wow. <laughs> How long were you there when you do an event like that in Sydney? Uh, you know, you come in a couple of days before, and, you know, and then like when we took the kids, we stayed a couple of days on the backside so we could go visit, you know, and go tourist around and see all the sites. Nice. So we always we always build in at least a few days on the backside, so we we, we could spend time, you know, getting to know the culture. It's and probably because like again, a, we're homeschooling them. So is right. it a week or more? You think? Uh, yeah, we were probably there. You know, at least a week. You know, again, a day before, and then two or three days on the backside. The event's four days, so you got that alone. So a couple, yeah, you're there a week, at least a week. So at this point, are you considered full time working for Tony, or did you just? like homeschool the kids and do something else and then just go out whenever he needed you? Well, they, you know, because I was doing the security thing too, you know, Tony's, the, the firewalk, Tony does at two events. He does it at UPW, Unleash the Power Within, the firewalk experience. And then he has another event called Life Mastery. So the firewalk that we did at UPW is a 15 to 16, maybe 17 feet long. Mm -hmm. The one we did at Life Mastery was 40 feet long. Wow. And that's a 10-day event. So then he also has Date with Destiny and, and, you know, some other events, private events. And because I was, you know, a major player on the security team, um, I started going to those events as well. Wow. So, yeah. So, you know, we were going to, you know, a good 15 to 20 events per year uh, during, you know, the prime, if you will. Oh. Uh, so that all went down. Uh, so I, I started, you know, in that role in 2003 as the captain. 2005, we went to London. We set the world record. That's where we walked 12,300 people. Now, I want to disclose something. We didn't, Guinness was not there. Guinness Book of World Records was not there. However, the biggest firewalk that's ever been done in the world uh, we did in London was 12,300 people. There's never been a, there's never been a firewalk anywhere close to What's the uh, record in the Guinness Book of World Records for that? There isn't. Oh, uh, ever? But, no, not that I know of. Wow. But again, you know, we, we, Guinness wasn't invited, but, you know, the, the only other firewalk that's been anywhere close to 12,300 is another Robbins event where it was 10,000 or 9,000, whatever. So that happened in 05. And then 2014, boom, here, you know, here Dave's life's going to take another turn. I'm driving down the road and Google called me. And they're like, um, hey, uh, are you the Dave Albin that does the firewalks for Tony Robbins? I'm like, yeah, what can I do for you? <laughs> and they're like, well, if you're not under any contractual obligation or non-compete, we'd like to talk to you about hiring you. 
Oh, wow. Well, well, all righty then. Well, homeboy's a free agent. What you got? <laughs> and so the next thing I know, I found myself at Mountain View doing a glass walk for 148 of their executives that had been in a nine-month curriculum, and they, they wanted to create the paradigm shift for the, gra- for the graduation. Well, Google knows. Google's not, you know, they're, they know what's going on. They understand how the brain works. And so they, they wanted to create this incredible experience. Well, when we first started talking Firewalk, I said, you, they wanted to do it in the middle of the day. And I go, I can't do it in the middle of the day. It's a safety issue. I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Now, I tell you what we could do if you want to do something in the middle of the day and still create a powerful experience, we could do the glass walk. And they're like, glass walk? You mean like walking on broken glass? I'm like, yep. And they're like, ooh, tell us about that. <laughs> so, yeah, do know, tell us we about that. How does that work? Yeah, exactly. Very so carefully. Is it, is it uh, broken bottles or special kind of glass or what is it? Yeah, yeah. It's all wine bottles and alcohol bottles and we process it and and uh, it's done very carefully. And, you know, you, you pull out all the really nasty pieces, but you're still walking on glass. Can oh, you cut so yourself? Okay. Yeah. So it's not like that scene from Die Hard. <laughs> well, you know what? I can't believe you said that, Chris, because here's what happened. So we're, we're at dinner the night before the event, and we got uh, the University of North Carolina who was there helping Google write the curriculum for this for this group of executives. So we're sitting there at dinner, and two of the girls that were with Google in, in, in North Carolina, they're like, you know, they want to ask me a question. I could tell they were kind of nervous, right? They're like, so Dave, um, listen, uh, we want to ask you a question about tomorrow. I'm like, sure, what, what's up? They said, well, we want to do something. And I'm like, okay, what do you want to do? They said, well, as we bring you on stage from the green room, there's this clip from Die Hard where Bruce Willis has to run across the broken glass. Are you okay if we show that? And I went, oh, hell yes. <laughs> You're my kind of people. Sure, let's show it, right? Yeah. And then they said, well, there's one other thing. Um, there's, a, there's a song by Annie Lennox that says, Walking on Broken Glass. Can we use that as the theme song to bring you on stage? And I went, you are my kind of people. <laughs> well, so it must have they also been, it must have been a, such a, a full circle moment. I'm thinking through this as you're thinking of facilitating this glass walk with Google where you're getting ready to take these leaders, executives through this experience, walking on broken alcohol bottles <laughs> and thinking of what you've overcome. Like you're literally, yeah. when people talk about like triumphing over their addiction and like it getting control over it, uh, not even getting control over it, but conquering it and showing it like it's not in control of your life anymore. You literally like, are mopping the floor with it. Well, you know what's interesting about that moment, Christine? So when I was flying out there, I had all kinds of doubts. I mean, I, what's going on in my head is like, who the hell do you think you are? Mm-hmm. You, you, you little drug addict, alcoholic, nobody. You're on your way to Google. You're going to screw this up. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. th- this is what's going through my head. And all of a sudden, <laughs> I have the other little guy that jumps up on my shoulder and he goes... Uh, so, Dave, uh, can I just remind you of something? You, 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 you put on the biggest firewalk in the world. You firewalked over twelve thousand five hundred people. So, tell that little guy over there that's talking shit to shut the hell up. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean. So, I'm having the conflict going on in my head. And you know, was I nervous? Yes. But I also, it was a good nervousness. Now, before I, you'd gone through this, though, with Tony, before you'd gone on your personal development journey, 
if you'd had experiences like this before where it's that little, almost like the people, like on the movies or on like the cartoons, it shows like the little devil on your shoulder that's like, you're no right. good. It's that that little shame vampire is what yep. I like to refer to it as. I like that. Could you actually quiet it down? Because it seems like like pre-AA that that little guy was not so little on your I shoulder. Had, I think I had, Christine, enough personal development in me that knew what was going on in that moment. And I wasn't having it. it but like before that, I'm, when you were in your addiction, could you come out of that? Um. Well, you know, what got me to AA was the pain. Yeah. It was either put a bullet in your head or, you know, go, go try this AA thing. So it's back to what Tony said. We'll do more to avoid pain than we will to gain pleasure. Mm-hmm. At that point, I'm like, you know, I, I, I get it. I'm the chosen one. I've been asked to do this. Everything in my life, everything lined up for that moment. To, to go to Google and stand there in Mountain View and, and stand in front of those people. And honestly, I went out and killed it. And they, in fact, they invited me back the next year. They did the, they did the curriculum again. And, and so that's when Firewalk Production was literally born. Um, after I went to Google, I came back and, you know, look, I said, hey, Tony, I need to talk to you. He goes, you're leaving, aren't you? And I said, well, yeah, it's time for me to go, man. You don't need me anymore. There's a half a dozen people out there in that, in that parking lot that, that can do my job. They're cross-trained. You don't need me. Mm-hmm. And, and so we had a long talk in the green room. It was pretty intense I mean, because we'd been together for so long. We've been together at 9-11. Uh, you know, we, we firewalked literally hundreds of thousands of people. Um, and, and so it was, you know, Tony was, we were really close. We were really tight. And one of the last things he said to me, he goes, Albie, look, man, with great wisdom comes great responsibility. Make us proud. And I think I've done that mm. uh, because after Google, I went to NASA and then I went to Notre Dame and then Virginia Tech and Microsoft and Heineken and Remax and Chick-fil-A and YMCA and on and on and on. And, you know, and, and so it, it's just, it's just been a, you know, it's been a beautiful thing. Um, and, and again, there's a lot of responsibility. I literally have a skill that, can change people's life big time. Not only can they change your life, but they can save your life. And I'll tell you something that happened here recently, and it's because of podcasting. So about two months ago, I'm on a podcast. And we, we recorded, and at the end, we were just talking after, you know, we're talking on the side. And, and Natalia turned to me and she said, so David, let me ask you something. Have you ever, have you ever uh, done a firewalk for veterans? Mm. And I said, you mean specifically? And she said, yeah. And I go, no, why? And she goes, because we have 200 of them. Wow. And I think you could do this, that it could help save their life. And, and I said, well, look, I'm, I'm interested. Can you give me a 24 hours to think about it? She said, absolutely. I went to bed that night. I woke up in the middle of the night and it came to me. Operation Do No Harm. <laughs> so I, 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 it was like a, a truck had hit me because I got it. I've been in the personal development industry for three decades. I know why a veteran takes their life. I'm tot- I totally understand it, right? They, get, they, they go to basic training, they're trained to kill, they get deployed, they go over there, they see horrendous stuff. I'm a vet, I get it. And, and you know, they, they are, they're over there, they move as a unit. And so all that chaos creates an incredible camaraderie and a connection between them. And then they come home and they're fragmented mm-hmm. and they're separated. 
So their purpose gets crushed and then depression sets in. Right. And as soon as that happens, yeah. then they reach for drugs or alcohol, right? Yeah. And we lose them. Well, the number that's floating around out there is 22 a day. Well, that's not true. It's not even close. That's only if they leave a note. And so it's up over 40. It's like in the mid-40s a day. And so as I started thinking about this, I'm like, okay, I, you know, I'll create an incredible experience and we'll reinstall the purpose. Um, and then I started thinking, well, wait a minute. Veterans aren't the only ones because we have a big problem with first responders. How about single moms, mm -hmm. right? That automatically came because I was born to a single mom. And what about kids that are abused and neglected? Right. There's four categories there. So I'm thinking, wait a minute. Okay, I'm onto something here. Because corporate America has been really good to me. Well, now it's time for me to go to corporate America and say, how'd you like to put your brand in front of something really, really huge and very noble and it'll make you look really, really good. So if you want to bring me to your city and you want to sponsor a firewalk for one of those four categories, I'll do all the heavy lifting and all the work and you'll get all the credit. Wow. And so that's where we are. I mean, literally, this, uh, this, you guys, this all just happened to me. In fact, we scheduled our first one. It's going to be amazing. in Modesto, California on April 6th. Whoop, whoop, Central California. Nice. Yep, there we are. So, um, and now I've already, you know, I, uh, corp corporate America is already stepping up. Wow. Uh, they're, they're already reaching out to me. Um, because, you know, the private sector is not going to do, excuse me, the only one that's going to do anything is the private sector. The government's not going to do anything. And so, so we can't rely on that. So it's like, okay, Dave, look, all this you've done for the last 30 years, and look what you get to do here in the final stage. Save these men and women's lives. That's fantastic. What a full circle to think about, you know? Gosh, right? Chris, and, it's like, are you kidding me? And so, Dave, as you look at your life now, like you mentioned, three decades in the personal development space, and you have been in front of and alongside of hundreds of thousands of people that— are seeking something different in their life. What if they're listening to this right now? What three piece of three pieces of advice would you give to those people? Um, I think that two most important times in anybody's life is the moment they're born and the moment they figure out why. And if you don't know why, keep moving forward. It'll come. And I also believe one of my mentors said something to me, Christine, years ago. He said, you know, every human has two lives. And the second one starts when, you've, when you realize you have only one. Mm. Look, everything that happens in everybody's life, all our listeners, you and I, all of us, we create a story based on everything that happens in our life. And that's up to us. We are, we're the architects of that. It doesn't matter what happened, good, bad, or indifferent. We're going to create the story. So... You know, it's funny because at my seminars, I put a picture up on the screen behind me. And it's a picture of a guy by the name of Eric Weinmeier. And he's obviously standing in a very specific spot. So after I'm talking for like 20 minutes, I'll turn to the audience. I'll say, who here can tell me where my buddy Eric's standing? And somebody will inevitably go, Mount Everest. And I'll say, that's correct. And I want you, I wanted you to tell something. I want to tell you something about Eric. He's climbed the seven highest mountains on seven continents on this planet. Put him on a mountain bike or put him in a kayak, that boy can tear it up. But here's what I want you to know about Eric. He's blind. Wow. 
So I don't want to hear your bullshit. Mm-hmm. You, the only reason you don't have something in your life that you've wanted is because you've convinced yourself with a bad story of why you can't have it. I'm too young. I'm too old. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Henry Ford told us it. He left it. He said straight up, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. So it's really all about purpose. And and to, to your question, Christina, you know, I think Viktor Frankl left us the biggest clue on earth uh, in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. And if you're not familiar with the book, um, Viktor was in Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. And You just took me back right there to 12th grade AP literature, man. That's when I had to read that book, Man's Search well, for Meaning. Well, that's a rough one. I know, it was heavy. It's a rough book, right? So what did Victor, what, what's the gift he gave us? So, you know, they killed his family. You know, you're, you're in Auschwitz, you're naked, no food. They take everything from you. Every single moment of your life at that moment, once you're there, is that you don't know if you're the next one going to the chamber. And you're living with that every second. But there was one thing that Victor figured out that you can't take from me. I have to give it to you. I have to relinquish it. And that's my attitude. So I don't care what's happened to you in your life. You can create a story. You want to change your life? Change your story. And stop negotiating with yourself. If you say you're going to do something, then do it. You say you're going to get up and go to the gym? Do it. You're going to say you're going to start taking cold showers? Do it. Just do it. Because if you start negotiating with yourself, and then it's going to creep its way in, and it's going to start... Chipping away at your life. I've got a dear friend with me here right now, and she's sitting here at the table with me. And, and when she got here, uh, I, I suggested that she read a book. Mm. And, it's, and, it's, and it's The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. That book rocked my world. Because what, what, what Gay teaches in there is that how to live in your zone of genius and stop doing stuff that you're not good at and don't do it. You know, there's always somebody out there that's good at social media or somebody that's out there that's really good at whatever it is that piece that you need to fill in in your life. Let them do it. You stay in your zone of genius. And so I think that's really what it, what, what it comes down to. You know, there's a couple things that I get asked all the time. So, Dave, you're 70. Yeah. Are you on any medications? No. How is that possible? Because there's things that I do that keep me out of that category. And they're all free. I'll share a couple of things with your listening audience right now that's all free. And you can start right now, tomorrow, today. One of the first things you can do in the morning if, the, if, 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 if you know, it's not cloudy is that you expose yourself to morning sunlight. Mm. That first 45 minutes is extremely healthy for you. By the way, some of the stuff I'm sharing right now, you can go to, uh, go to Gary Brecka. B-R-E-C-K-A, go, go to his YouTube and you can watch some of this stuff. Gary's amazing. Gary was a mortician expert and he worked for the insurance companies. And so when they would do a big policy, they would take that person's blood, give it to Gary, and Gary could tell you when you were going to die to the month. Wow. And based, so when Based they, on the blood? Yeah, just from the blood. How's that work? <laughs> go go check we'll him out, watch guys. The YouTube. Yep. <laughs> yeah, go watch some YouTube from Gary. He's gonna blow go. your mind. He'll tell you. It's all about the mitochondria. So anyway, so the bottom line is he woke up one day and he goes, I'm not doing this anymore. I don't like it. I hate it. This is crap. I'm gonna go teach people how to live their life. And so what he's doing is he's teaching us to go back to the basics. 
Like one of the things he does is, and I do this, you know, I go out and expose your upper torso to the sunlight. There's no ultraviolet rays. There's nothing bad. Our ancestors were all outside exposed to the sun on a regular basis. We don't do that anymore. We sit inside in our comfort zones. The other thing he has me do, and, and I love this part, and that's diaphragmic breathing. So what he does is he has you take 30 really intense breaths. And I mean, it's really hard. You're, you're, you're forcing oxygen and air deep down into your lungs um, and oxygenating your body at a really high level. And then once you do 30 breaths, you hold your breath. Um, and then you do 30 more, hold your breath, do 30 more and hold your breath. So you're holding your breath three times. You're doing 90 deep diaphragmic breathing, breaths. The second thing I do in the morning is I'll go out and I'll stick my hand, or excuse me, I stick my feet, my bare feet on the planet. It's called earthing. It's it's called grounding. Yeah, grounding. That, f- that feels so good, especially oh, well, when it's ha- like onto the grass and it's like the cool grass, the damp earth underneath it, and you just feel you, very like connected. Well, but we have to be because we're conductive. We're supposed to. You know, there's 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 evidence to show that if a dog lives in the house and never touches the outside, they get cancer and die. So oh my kills. gosh. Don't yeah. tell me that. Pour I have an indoor take your dog. indoor dog. Take your dog. Just take him out for a 10-minute <laughs> walk and let him walk on the grass. You'll be good. Yeah. All, all living things on this planet are supposed to be touching the planet. Yeah. We don't do that anymore. The other thing that I do is I love my meditations, sound therapy. And you probably saw this coming. I do a hot shower followed by a three-minute cold shower. And the water coming into my home, as I mentioned earlier, it's mountain water. And it's right now it's 56, 57 degrees. And when it hits me in the face every morning when I do it, guess what? It takes my breath away. And you do that for three minutes. And I won't go into all the benefits you can go, you know, there's, there's so much evidence to show. I mean, athletes, professional athletes and Olympians do it all the time when they've hurt themselves. They get into cold plunges. So it's there. The evidence is there. And all that stuff's free. Right. Here's the other thing they say. Gary teaches, and I believe him 100%. If you're drinking tap water, municipal water, stop. Stop drinking it. It's poison. It's not alive. The water is dead. They killed it. They put chlorine in it. They put fluoride in it. There's all kinds of undigested um, uh, drugs in it because they run it through the sewer plant, and that water goes right back into the water system. Now, I'm... Okay, well, easy for you, Dave. You're living up here in the Appalachian Mountains, and yes, you have mountain water coming into your house. Yes, I do. And one of the reasons I bought my cabin is because I wanted real, live spring water coming into my house. I bathe in it, and I drink it. Well, if you, okay, well, so what do I do, Dave? Well, do something. Figure it out. Most cities, you can find somebody that sells spring water. Go do it. And you, I'll tell you right now, you start exposing your body to sunlight, you start breathing diaphragmically and get all that oxygen into your body. Let me say this about that, just that one act alone. Disease does not exist where oxygen is present. I've heard that. And that's why I've heard like some people when they're going through cancer treatment will go into those chambers where it's like, Yeah, hyperbaric chambers where it's such a high concentration of oxygen to try and and get out, get kill all of that off. Let me say it again a little louder for the people in the back. Disease does not exist where oxygen is present. 
and you can go out and do it for free. It doesn't cost you a dime. Get outside, kids. You know, <laughs> come on, kids. Come on, boys and get girls. Off, let's go. Get off the, the face. What's it called? The uh, the Facebooks and the Instagrams and the uh, what's the game you like to play? The uh, Fortnites. Put the Fortnite controller <laughs> down. You know what I'm saying? Go well, outside. It's, and- it's funny that you're saying this because our 14 year old this morning was sitting. He had made smoothies for him and his little brother, and they're sitting in the kitchen. And he says, uh, the 14 year old says to the 11 year old. Uh, get your shoes on. Let's go outside and play. And it's like barely, you know, nine o'clock in the morning. And the 11 year old's like, what? And he's like, let's get outside. You're, you're always on your device. And the 11 year old's like, ah, no. And he goes upstairs and the 14 year old is like, all he does is bury his face in that device. I just want him to get outside. And it's like, nothing's preventing you from going outside. And so it's interesting that you're saying this because it is right on point because that's, you know, definitely where we feel most connected. But, um, you know, Dave, this has been so invigorating for us and just being able to hear your journey and your insights. Uh, But we know that you have a lot more that you can offer to groups, to individuals that are listening to this and feeling inspired, but are like, I want to change, but I don't know how. So where can our listeners find out more about you and your journey and how to get connected? Um, Just go to our website. You know, it's firewalkadventures.com. And something I didn't even mention is that I have an academy that I do once a year in October up here in the mountains. It's It's a five and a half day intensive. And they come up here and I teach them all this stuff. I teach them fire walking, glass walking, board break, brick breaks, arrow breaks, all the life-changing paradigm shift experiences. Tell them how to start the business, how to get in sh- charge with uh, and connect with the Chamber of Commerces and how to talk to fire marshals and how to breathe and how to do shower and all that stuff. Wow. And, and so they can come up here and they can be a part of that. Now, it's a very intimate group. I limit it to, I think we have five slots less for the 2024 event. Uh, so that's on there too. Um, so, you know, I mean, we're still doing the whole thing, right? So if a company, corporation, whoever wants to hire us and they want us to come in and get their people back in order, you know, because they got shredded. Everybody got shredded in March of 2020. Right. It, it did exactly the polar opposite of what we are supposed to be doing. That's why, you know, when I talk about the seminar with Tony, that second day when I was standing in the foyer and watching everybody get along, I'm like, that's it. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be loving each other and supporting each other and encouraging each other and spreading, you know, just kindness and support and encouragement. And and that got shredded. So right. if a company's out there and they didn't fix that, guess what? Their their production's going in the toilet. And any good CEO <laughs> knows that. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. And but the, what what the challenge with them is that how do I fix it? Call Dave. Exactly. Call give, Dave. You know, bring me in. You know, bring me in. Get, give your people to me for a few hours. And because I incorporate the board break into the firewalk as well. And without going too deep there, I just take the board break. It's a martial arts thing, right? Real simple. Board breaks real easy. What doesn't, what, why they don't break it easy is because they're in their head. So I have them write some stuff on the board. I have them write something they want to move towards on the front, something they need to move away from on the back. I have them write anybody's name on that board that they're in conflict with. So if, if, so if forgiveness and reconciliation is part of that relationship, that stops tonight. You're going to break that board and give it to the fire. Then to create the rite of passage, 
I haven't write anybody's name on the board that they've lost. So that creates the ancestral side of it. Nice. And so we take them out there, break the board, and then we walk them in a circle, and then they fire walk, and then they get to throw their board onto the fire, and it creates probably, without a doubt, one of the most magical evenings of their entire life. Fantastic. That's, that's amazing, Dave. Well, we have so appreciated having you on the show. So friends, go to firewalkadventures.com. We're going to put all that information into the show notes from today. If you've been inspired by something that Dave has said, definitely reach out. Grab one of those slots for his intensive that's coming up. And then just make sure to follow along on his journey. And um, I know you have some great YouTube videos and resources and things like that on your website. But we just want to say thank you for taking time to join us here on the Chris and Christine show, Dave. We just so appreciate you. Well, you know, you guys do all the work, so thank you. You know, I'm just a guy that comes up, comes on here and, you know, I run my pie hole. You, <laughs> you, you guys, you guys do all the editing and all the work. And, you know, I don't think people realize how hard it is to be a great host and you guys are killing it. And so I'm very, very grateful that you guys had me on your show. So thank you. Thanks, Thanks so much, Dave. Enjoy listening to podcasts and ever wonder, can I make a podcast? But it seems so complicated and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast easily? Well, now there is. Introducing Podcasting Made Easy from Podtastic Audio. My production team will handle your entire audio production, allowing you to be the star of your show. This is podcasting made easy. How easy? Well, so easy, you don't even have to press record. Now that's easy. Your listeners are waiting. Let's deliver. Sign up for a free strategy call today at podcasticaudio.com slash easy. You know, I think Dave was fantastic coming on the show today. He was very insightful in his story about the fire walking and doing the fire stuff. Like, I don't think I could physically do that, but... Good on him. He can do it, you know? Well, it's funny because today there was a Super Bowl com commercial and one of the guys was walking across fire and I immediately thought of him and I thought, there ain't no freaking way that I could do that. I mean, maybe, maybe if somebody like pumped me up and helped me get out of my head. I don't know. I I would have been exactly like him going to one of those uh, Tony Robbins talks where I'm like, you know, at the back of the room and. I don't want to do it and I don't believe in this stuff. And then, you know, but I, I get it though. I mean, I get the whole, like it'll help you kind of get over mine. It's a mind thing, you know? And then also people are cheering you and chanting you on. It's like, a, it's, you would totally eat that up. You know, people are just cheering your name and pumping you up and they're there to support you. And people are doing it in front of you. I think when you see people go through there and they're just, perfectly fine. You're like, oh, well, I guess they went through it then I can go through it, you know, especially when everyone's cheering you up. I probably would do it. I'd probably go through there. If I was there, I'd do, I don't know if I could walk in the back and hide like he was doing. I probably would actually be there. Like nothing, not say front. You'd be in the middle of it. You'd yeah, be like, right. Putting on a toga. Like you would be like, let's do this. It'd be like from the hangover or something like that. Or like a frat party. Oh, so I'd be like chugging a few beers before I go through there. Yeah. Like, you'd be like, <laughs> like slamming, slamming beers like Taylor Swift did tonight in the, in the uh, stands. I guess so. You'd be like uh high-fiving everybody and you, yeah. And then, yeah. You'd be that I, I, guy. I, I, I'd like run back through it again. I say, "Hey, watch me run back through there," and, and they say, "You want some of this? Come get me! I'm over here in the middle." You'd be like, "I am the fire." Mm. Well, it, it was very interesting to be able to listen to his experience and 
how he's taken that and is now paying it forward to be able to help people of all different walks of life. And, you know, that's what I love to hear is whenever somebody's gone through something that's been uh, life changing and has opened their eyes that they're able to turn that around and, you know, share that gift with the world. Fantastic. Well, Chris, this has been an amazing episode. Where can our listeners find out more about us? Well, you can go to our website, which is chrisandchristineshow.com. And also as a little bonus, I forgot to tell you, we are now officially on YouTube. Woohoo! All of our episodes, all of our back episodes, all of them. Hey, maybe you're listening to this on YouTube right now, but all of the shows, all the episodes are on our YouTube channel, which is Chris and Christine Show at YouTube. That's amazing. Thank you so much for doing that. I know it's been a lot of work for you. So you can watch us or you can listen to us across any of your podcast platforms that you normally stream from. And you can also tune in to us on YouTube. And I think that that's fantastic. Amazing. Well, Chris, this has been so great. Thank you so much for all you do to put this podcast together. Uh, any last minute tips or insights you want to leave our listeners with? Go Chiefs, but Chargers got it next year. So I'm saying. <laughs> That was really funny. Good job. Good job. I mean, you always hold out hope. You are a committed, a new coach, a new new coach. We're cleaning house. We're going on there. We're going to start tearing it up. And it's going to be, I hear the new coach is going for the Super Bowl. He's gunning for it. That's amazing. Maybe it'll be Chiefs Chargers next year. It can't be because they're in the same division. Oh, that's too bad. Could it be like uh, Chargers and Raiders? That would be amazing. No, still same division. Oh, so the Chiefs, the Chargers, and the Raiders. And the Broncos are all in the same AFC West. Oh, wow. Okay. How is the Chiefs in the West? Well, they're the closest West team we got, I guess. They are. That's crazy. All right. Well... Thanks so much, Chris, for, uh, you know, 183 episodes. And, you know, let's see. Maybe we'll be back next week with 184th. You never Ooh, know. that'd be fantastic. Absolutely. Well, thank, everybody. thank you, everybody, for listening to us. And we'll be back with you next, next week. week.